Man, yeah. So I'm just going to take some time today and share share with you guys kind of the journey that I've been on. Um, you know, a lot of times get in when we've had um, you know opportunities to share things down front, and I think I shared a little bit at uh, the leadership meeting a few weeks ago, and just uh, Pastor asked us kind of what our journeys have looked like the past year or so, and um, you know I just want to take some time to share with you guys and, and maybe um, invite you in to a little bit of this this journey as well. Um, you know, over the past. Uh, the past year and a half or so, it started about about a year and a half ago during our, our fast. Um, I was found, I started listening to some, some teachings from some people I'd never heard, and they started presenting some ideas about God that uh, really offended me to begin with because they were unlike anything I'd ever heard. Um, I, uh, an, uh, but it was an, it was, it was an offense that, that led me to ask questions, not got me upset with the people. So you, you can be offended that there's an, there's, there is an offense that you can walk into that will cause you to ask questions, but there's also a defense, an offense that will cause you just to, to leave and walk away or to pick up rocks and try to kill people, <laughs> kind of like what the religious people did. You know? and, 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 and it, but it started making me think because I'm like, you know, I've been on this journey for, I you know, well, I've, I've, I've had this connection with him for 20-something years, but I've been on this journey for yeah, growing up in my house 35 years. And it's like, why does it always kind of feel kind of like, like that? Because you know? when I look at the life of Jesus, his life wasn't up and down. His life wasn't, it, it wasn't always about like, like these, these, these battles that Jesus was always facing, right? Or this... You know, trying to trying to always get a victory in his life. He just he lived. He lived from a place. His his starting point was always my destination. You know what I'm saying? Looking at his life, that's my destination. But like Jesus is like that's his starting point. I mean, Jesus, before he even starts his ministry, the first thing he hears is what? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He hasn't done anything good or bad. The first thing he hears is the father say, wow, I am so happy with you. But here I am living to hear it. Doing to hear it. And Jesus hears it before he does anything. You know what I'm saying? So I start asking myself these questions. And, and what, why, why, what's going on? You know, why, why? And then all of a sudden you start hearing these thoughts and these perceptions. And it's like, could it be... That the whole story that I've heard is actually better than what I've ever heard. Because I did grow up in a lot of religion. And the, the, the picture that it painted of the father was not a picture of a father. It was the picture of a very tyrant God, very angry at the world, ready to destroy the world. And Jesus... Somehow, some way, convinces him, this, this tyrant God, convinces him that if he would let him go to the earth and become a man, he would give himself for the people, and that God, this tyrant deity, could, could then take all that anger and pour it out on Jesus and satisfy all that anger, and then everything would just be okay. And a lot of us grew up hearing that message. It's a terrible message. It really is. If you really sit. So what I've been the past couple year and a half, I've really been been sitting around pondering question. I've said that before. I'm questioning my answers because that was always my answer. And, I, and it's, sometimes we just need to take an inventory of what we actually believe, because it's like this. We, uh, a few, uh, it was probably about three years ago, we did a teaching with the youth, um, uh, Moral Revolution. And we talked about, we talked about the, the, beauty, the beauty of sex and the creation of how, why God created it and why it's so beautiful when it's used in the way God created it to be. And it's important to have talks with those about our kids because if, if, if we don't teach them the way God intended it and the beauty of it and not being ashamed to say the word... You know, they need to hear these things. But Chris Fallison puts it like this. The reason it's so important, and not to go off topic, I'll get back in it, but the reason it's so important to have those conversations 
early with our kids about those things is because the first time you hear something. That becomes your your perception of now how it is. Therefore, from that moment forward, because you hear it, you believe it. That's how it is. From that moment forward, every time anybody says anything about it, what do you do? You filter what you hear based on what you already know to be true. So, prime example, if, 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 if a child grows up and they learn about sex based on Hollywood and songs, and then you try to teach them moral revolution, it's not going to be easy at first. Because they're going to filter the good through what they already think it's about. Until they come to a place where they realize they need to tear some things down in order to build some things up. Sometimes we need to go into our lives and we need to be willing to tear some belief systems down instead of hearing new thoughts and filtering them through the belief system that you currently have. Because sometimes it's really easy to hear a new thought, say amen, but really that thought just got filtered through what you grew up hearing so it really didn't take any root because you already have roots that are going in, a wrong, in the wrong direction. Is that y'all following me? So it sounds like it's a really good truth. But what just happened is you filtered it through what you've always heard. And by the time it gets out of that filter, there's really no nutrients left. But the ultimate problem is... What I saw and heard the very first time really wasn't the right thing. But everything I hear after that is being filtered through that. Are y'all with me? And there's so much. There's so much in the church. Thank God for this place because this place has been such a safety to where I can ask hard questions. I, I love Pastor Man. He he. He lets me just ask, just, he just lets me go on this journey. Because even in the past year and a half, I've been on a journey, and this journey has taken me to side places. But my heart is to know Him. My heart is to know truth. My heart is to know reality. And sometimes on your journey, you, you might hit a sideways curve. But you know what? That's okay because you're still moving forward. And if you're hungry to know, you're going to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to get back, but I'm going to keep going. And I love, I love the heart of this place. But in the church, case in point, most of us grew up with this hard-nosed tyrant that is so mad at us. It's not really God so... We grow up being taught and memorized. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have ever... But that's really not what we were taught. It was really that God was so upset and disgusted with the world that He was ready to destroy it, but Jesus stepped in and convinced Him that He could save it and that He could pour His wrath out on Him. And God said, yes, go do it. And God spewed His wrath out. And now everybody's good. God just changed all of a sudden one minute because of the cross. That's the message we grew up hearing, most of us. Would would, would y'all agree that that's pretty much what you grew up hearing? Why in the world... We have convinced ourselves that that's a good message. And then we wonder why we have trouble with intimacy. We wonder why we have trouble seeing him as a father. Paul, Paul actually called that the, uh, in Galatians chapter one. He called it the fake gospel. The fake gospel. Um. Matthew six twenty, Matthew chapter six. I, I, I will, I'll give you some scripture for this. In Matthew six, chapter or verse twenty two and twenty three, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your entire body will be full of light. But if your eye is unsound, your whole body will be full of darkness. The eye is the lamp of the body. What is he saying? How you perceive. It's the land. How you see things is how things will enter into you. Your perception of things determine whether you have light or darkness in you. Sound. If you're 
<clears throat> if your eye is sound, your entire body will be full of light. Now, what does the word sound mean? This is interesting. If your eye, your lamp, the thing that lets in. Listen, the things that you believe, you believe because you let them in. Unfortunately, growing up in a lot of religion, we were just told what to believe. We really were. This is what it is. This is how this is how you need to believe. This is what you need to do. Here's your formulas. And we just we just believed it. And, and the problem is, is we heard a, a, a lot of us heard a fake gospel about a really angry God. And we've convinced ourselves that it's a beautiful story. But really deep down, there's darkness because why? The sound. Listen to what this word sound means. Sound to have to be sound means to be free from injury or disease, free from flaw or defect, free from error, fallacy and misapprehension. The problem is the gospel that a lot of us heard hurt. And it put fear in us. How many of you ran down to an altar because if you didn't run down, one day you were going to burn in hell the rest of your life? Let's, let's just get to the, the, the elephant in the room. How many of you made the decision because if you didn't, you were going to get thrown in hell? Well, who in the world would not want to make that decision? I mean, if I put a gun to your head and say, hey, do this or I'm going to shoot. Most sane people are actually going to do whatever they ask to do. So, most of you guys are sane just because you made that decision. But that's not the gospel. That's fear and that's manipulation. And we don't have an accurate view of God because the first time many of us heard the truth, it created injury. It created an error. It created a defect and a flaw in how we perceive Him. See, this is why sometimes we need to really examine what we believe because the reality is what I've discovered, my perspective of the Father, of, of who He is, was flawed. And it was because of how it was presented. And I didn't realize it was flawed. I could hear God is good. Amen. God's good. Amen. But the first time something negative happens is, why, God? Why would you let that happen? Why did, why did he allow that? Why? Because you were always told he's in control. What if I tell you he's not in control? What, what would you do if I told you God's not actually in control? You're in control of you. Because to, to say that God's in control would actually be to say that God, like, allows rape. Because if He's in control, if you're in control, that means you allow things to happen. You might not be the author of it, but you still allow it because you're in control. Let's, let's, let's think about it for a minute. When we, when we have this philosophy that God is in control. So what you're telling me is God allows Rape, he allows sex trafficking, he's, he allows murder, because he's in control. He's in control of all of it. God is sovereign, but God's not in control. Hence another reason why deep down, much of the church is, is really hurt and, and scared of him. I had a conversation with a guy um, Thursday, Wednesday. And they had a terrible week. Uh, you know, the, uh, his had some family that was diagnosed with some uh, something bad. Uh, like two days later, uh, a death, a very hard to think. It's just very traumatic. Um, and he was talking, you know, and and he made the comment. He says, you know, I, I just gotta. I I don't understand it, but I just gotta believe that God's in control and there's a purpose for it all. Wow. Now, that was me not too long ago. But now that I, I, I have this, this different way of seeing things where my, 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 my perspective of him isn't, um, isn't as flawed 
like I'm opening up myself to what if he's better than I've always thought he is? What if what I believe actually isn't correct? What if there's a better story? What if there's a better truth? What if there's a better reality? But the thought, that just the thought, man, that like God allowed this disease to take over this person and God allowed this, this, this suicide. Yeah, it's okay, son. Yeah, you can go ahead and do it. It's okay. I'm in control. Go ahead and kill yourself. But how many of us or in the church actually like really deep down that's actually when bad things happen? There's this offense on the inside. Because what? He allowed that. Why would you let that happen? How could you? Now we don't want to talk about it. Because we really want to believe he's good. We do. We want to believe he's good. But then these things happen and these, it resurrects these things up on the surface. It brings these things up. And we start, it's, it's what's on the inside that's going on, our, percept, our perception of Him because of how we first heard it. And sometimes we need to go back and we need to, we need to tear down through fellowship with Him. We need to tear down those things and those belief systems that are there that are keeping us from actually and fully experiencing all that He is. Because it matters. I mean, if we really believe He's in control, what are we really saying about Him? If we really believe that the cross was about Him pouring out His wrath, what are we saying about Him? Now, the thing is, is we've also... I love... I, I hear like um, Brian Zahn says, I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. And I really like my Bible too. Because a lot of the, 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 there's a lot of, of in, in, in what religion has done, we've actually, we've worshipped the book over the one that it points to. Because here's the thing. I could run into somebody who is absolutely sure that the cross was was about God pouring out His wrath on Jesus so He didn't have to destroy us. And, 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 and I could be absolutely sure that it's not. And we both could pull out Scriptures to prove our points. And what we've done in religion is we've, we've done that. We've built our case to defend our beliefs. When I don't want to defend my beliefs, the only thing I want to do is to experience more and more of His goodness. Because when I experience His goodness, I begin to understand the Scriptures more. I don't want to use the Scriptures to defend my beliefs. I want to experience His goodness to understand the Scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, it points to one thing. Jesus. That's all it points to. The, the, the Emmaus Road experience. They're walking down the road. They're sad. They've lost Jesus. And it says what? He shows up in another form. And he begins to talk with them. And they're like, he's like, why are you guys so sad and down and out? And they're like, are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard what happened to Jesus? What rock have you been living under? Now they're talking to Jesus and they don't even recognize it. And it says that Jesus begins to open up the Scriptures to them. And it says, starting from the very beginning until the very last Scripture in Malachi, He does what? He points to Himself. Scripture is all about just revealing Jesus. That's it. If, if I'm reading Scripture and I'm not discovering Jesus, it's not because He's not in it, it's because I'm just not perceiving it right. There's a flaw in my lens. And I just want the, I want the flaws to be removed. And Jesus is the one who removes them. He's the answer. He's the answer. Um, I read this, this, this quote by Don Keithley. Now, this is so interesting because, and I, I think a lot of it, you know, growing up, we want, we, devotion is, is a beautiful thing to be devoted but to be strong-armed through fear into devotion is terrible. <laughs> and it doesn't actually bring true devotion. It brings control. 
It brings fear. Do this or else. Say the prayer or go to hell. Did y'all, ever, y'all got any sermons, uh, you know, where Jesus talked about? I mean, James and John, they know a lot of Scripture. And, and, and Jesus wants to go through Samaria to get to where he's got to go. And the Samaritans, you know, they didn't get along with the Jews and they refused entrance to Jesus. And what's the first thing James and John want to do? Lord. Should we call down fire from heaven and destroy the whole village? Vengeance. Retribution, right? What is retribution? To pay somebody back for the wrong they've done. Because their whole perception and view of God was retribution. And they had all kinds of scriptures to prove it. Matter of fact, where did James and John even get an idea like that? Where'd they get an idea like that? Where? From the Bible. From Scripture. Could they have called down fire from heaven, killed everybody, and then defended their belief because it was in Scripture? Could they have just been perceiving His nature wrong? Obviously they were, because what did Jesus say? I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. See, Jesus shows up and He completely flips upside down everything the Jewish, Jewish nation thought that God was. And they had tons of Scripture to defend who they thought He was. And Jesus lives His life in ministry being persecuted, not by people who don't know Him, but by people who are sure that they know who God is. Read the life of Jesus. Every time a stone was picked up to throw at Jesus, it wasn't done by a person who didn't know. It wasn't done by a person that was lost and in the world. It was done by a person who was sure they knew what God was like. What, what is, what, look what religion has done to people. Should we, we call down, we'll call down fire from heaven and we'll kill them all. I mean, the disciples lived most of the three and a half years pretty much just offended and confused. I mean, they're fighting over who's going to be great. I'm better than you. No, you're better. Well, no, I'm, I'm better. No, you're better. I'm better. He's like, listen, guys, if you really want to be great, become the least. Watch me. I mean, that's, that, that all happens within a span of about three or four, three or four probably 30 minutes. They're fighting over this, and then they're, can we have seats beside you when we get to heaven? Because we're, we're greater than the rest of them. Should we kill everybody in this city? Because they, like, I mean, and they had Scripture to prove that what they believed was true. And then Jesus shows up, and He looks nothing like their belief system. It's, it's getting back. What's what I mean? Because see, that'll that'll mess with some people. Like you mean you mean that the, the we we shouldn't we shouldn't read scripture. No, no. Scripture points to Jesus. I'm just saying, if you're reading scripture and you see an angry God, if you're reading scripture and you see violence, if you're reading scripture and you see genocide, I want you to just take those thoughts you have of Him, and I want you to look to Jesus, and I want you to say, can I find the can I find that in Jesus? Is Jesus, is He really one with the Father like He said He was? Most people say, Amen. If you've seen Me, you've seen Him. Because see, this is where I'm getting at. This is where we've, we, we, we've, we've worshipped the, the, the things that, that man has created, which is called religion. We've worshipped those thoughts. We've worshipped those ways of seeing things. We've turned the cross into a message of retribution. What do I mean? I get it. I said it again. Retribution is to pay back wrong that is done. We've turned God into an angry deity who was so mad at Adam and Eve for doing what they did. And he lived for 4,000 years pent up with anger. 
And he could not wait for Jesus to go to the cross so he could spew it out so he could be nice again. That's what we've been taught growing up. The message was not retribution. The message was restoration. Retribution never brought life and restoration to anybody. I've given you the example before. Y'all want an example of retribution? A, A man or a person kills somebody. They get arrested for it. They get sentenced to the electric chair. You know what retribution is? Retribution is when they bring the family of the victim in to sit down in the chairs in front of the plexiglass screen and watch that person's brains fry out. Because they are getting the punishments of, their, of what they deserve. And now, do you really think that that person that just watched those brains fry actually is going to walk out restored and made whole? We've turned the cross into the same story. Retribution. God is so mad and so upset. It's a story of restoration. Um, scriptures, man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Where was God when Jesus was on the cross? He was in Him. Restoring, reconciling the world to Himself. Where was God? Where was the Father? In Him. What about... What about When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because we've all been taught that God turned his back on Jesus. And we've got scripture for it. Psalms 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook Jesus on the cross. He turned his back on him. So he wouldn't have to turn his back on you. Because he was mad at you. And he needed to turn his back on somebody. So he was willing to turn his back on Jesus. So he didn't have to turn his back on you. Yeah, we've heard it. Did Jesus say it? Did you know that in Jewish culture, if you quoted the first verse of a psalm, then the culture understood you were actually quoting the entire verse, the entire uh, psalm? So for Jesus to be on the cross and say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When they heard that, they knew He was talking about the entire psalm. He wasn't just saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting a scripture to point them to the truth of restoration because Psalms 22, 14 says, you have never abandoned me and you have not turned your back on me. Interesting, isn't it? But we've always been taught that God was angry Jesus was the the, the way to get God's anger out. And that's not that. uh, Here's the point I'm trying to make this morning is when when we when we hear it inaccurate the first time it we have to be careful that what when we do hear something good that we either don't get offended. And that we don't filter what we're hearing through what we've always thought to be true. We've got to be willing. It, it, a lot of people use the word deconstruct. You, you, so there's got to be this point in life where we've got to be willing to, to deconstruct and tear down our, our, our mindsets, man. Because it's all about sonship and him being a father. That's what it's about. This whole story is about how much he wanted kids. Even to the point where God himself was willing to die in order to make that happen. Jesus and, and God are, are one. But, but we grew up just, I've said that before, we grew up being thankful to, to Jesus that he saved us from his dad. Because his dad was going to destroy us if he didn't come and save us. How, how, how can we draw close to a God like that? Do you really want to draw close to a God like that? We've convinced ourselves that we do. But the truth is, with a, with a theology and a thinking like that, we've just convinced ourselves but we're not really going to experience sonship when we're scared of the very one who wants to be our dad. I mean, it's something so good to process, man. 
it's, 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 it's sometimes we just need to take inventory. Psalm 22, 24, sorry, I said 14. That way y'all can go back and say, is that in the Bible? Yep, 22, 24. Don Keithley says it like this. I believe that there are very few people who have actually rejected Jesus. They have rejected a bipolar God and the death of His innocent Son to appease this angry, this anger towards mankind, all presented by a hard-sell preacher trying to close the deal with threats, manipulation, and fear of eternal punishment. In other words, not many people have even heard the gospel. They have rejected. Not many people have actually not many people have actually rejected Jesus. They have rejected a bipolar God and the death of his innocent son to appease this anger this this to appease this God's anger towards mankind. All presented by a hard sell preacher trying to close the deal with threats, manipulation, and the fear of eternal punishment. In other words, not many people have heard the gospel. Wow. He's good. He's not that retributive, angry God that we grew up hearing about. He's a father. I mean, you go back to Genesis. We've been taught God God just like he got upset with man. He drove him out of the garden and he just I guess he just got he stayed mad until um, the cross. But it's so interesting that we talked about that in Genesis four. You've got You've got Cain and Abel. I mean, for one, the word drive, when he drove them out, he drove them out for their safety, not because he was upset. But we, we, we've seen this angry God. And we're so thankful to Jesus for saving us from Him. I mean, Genesis chapter 4, man, Cain and Abel. Has, have we ever thought about, wow, Cain and Abel are actually fellowshipping with Him? The one who actually wasn't supposed to be there anymore because he was upset with what Adam and Eve did? And then he has this mercy on Cain because he, he kills his brother and Cain's like, I can't take what's going to happen. People are gonna, he, he puts a mark on Cain. He's, he's merciful in Genesis 4 to a murderer. And, and, he, and he, he's, he's found throughout the entire thread of the Scriptures pursuing people, not condemning them. Not destroying. He's pursuing us. He's always pursued us. And the, the culmination of His pursuit was the cross. It all culminated at the cross where now His pursuit has become an internal thing. He's in us now. Now He's pursuing everything about our mindsets. Everything about the way we see. He's pursuing those things. And He wants to burn up everything in us that doesn't show us who the Father actually is. That's his heart. That's what he wants. And it starts, I'll leave you with this. It starts, honestly, by recognizing that Jesus and the Father are one person. It's so interesting. It's the thing I wrestle with. And, and it, it, it's created, you know, um, it's created uh, a lot of questions for myself. But it's a question, it's, it's in questions that, this, that, are, um, per, that, that take me into a pursuit, right? Uncertainties. We've been taught to be afraid of uncertainty. You need to be certain. 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 Listen, there's only one thing right now that I'm certain of. God is good and He looks like Jesus. That's it. That's all I'm certain about right now. He is good and He looks like Jesus. Because the reality is, how many of us could truly say that when we see God, we actually really believe that He looks like Jesus? Because I've got 66 books and a lot of stories that show me that they're completely different in their natures. Would you agree? So what do we do with those things? We look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. You let Jesus define who the Father is. Let him define who the Father is. One, 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 one person said it like this. 
And I'm going to leave you with some scriptures. I'm not going to leave you with a bunch of quotes. I'm going to leave you with some scriptures. But every scripture that claims to be a revelation of God must bow to the living God when He came in the flesh. Every scripture that claims to be a revelation of the living God must bow to the revelation of God coming in the flesh. Those, those, those things that we've used for so long, like, I mean, the reality is, man, if I got up here and told you, you know, I just, uh, we went over to a city the other day and, and I found out that they weren't serving the Lord, so I, just, I killed all of them. Men, women, children, babies, I killed them all. What would y'all think of me? Huh? Uh-huh. I mean, twisted, man. You're thinking that I'm twisted. It's interesting. I believe the closer we get to the original Jesus, the closer we are to recognizing the face of the living God. And every picture of God is subordinate, is, is subordinate to the picture Jesus revealed about Him. I don't, I don't doubt Scriptures. Listen, I, 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 don't, I don't question, well, I wonder if that Scripture is actually true or not. I don't doubt that. But what I do think is that the writers of the Old Covenant... They heard a lot, but they didn't know Him like Jesus knew Him. And they wrote a lot of what they, what? Perceived. There's a lot of us, five years ago, if I had written a book based on my perception of who God was, it would probably not have been very well, very good. Listen to these scriptures, man. John 1, 8, 118. I'll leave you with these. No man has ever seen God at any time. The only unique son, the only begotten God. Who is in the bosom of the father, the intimate presence. He has declared him. He has revealed him and brought him out where he can be seen. He has interpreted him and he has made him known. No man until Jesus got here had ever seen him. And no man was able to actually interpret who he was. Jesus is the first one to walk the earth that actually interpreted him accurately. I got a lot of questions in my journey. But the one thing I'm certain about is God is good and he looks just like Jesus. No man had ever seen God until Jesus got on the scene. Think about it for just a second. Think about the persecution Jesus endured by those who were certain, certain that they knew what God was like. You do realize that the only persecution Jesus faced, I want to say that again, was not by the people who didn't believe. It was by those who were sure that this is who God is and this is what he's about. And Jesus shows up and he completely destroys their theology about what God is like. And instead of embracing it, they nail him to a cross. Yes, he gave his life up. But they nailed him to a cross to defend what they thought God was actually like. Jesus said in John chapter 16, John chapter 15, those that kill you will think they're doing God a favor. He's not talking about the unbelieving world. He's talking about the religious systems. Those that are certain that they know God is like this. This is who God is. This is what He does. This is what He would do in this situation. This is how He functions. Listen, if it doesn't look like Jesus, it's wrong. It's wrong. If what you see as God doesn't line up with who Jesus is and how Jesus functions, it's not an accurate picture of who the Father is. He's the first man who ever showed Him out in the open. And you think about, this is why, this is the whole, the, the whole point is, is being willing to let go of what you think He's like in order to embrace who He truly is. And who he truly is looks just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. So I want every scripture that I will ever read in, in, in the Bible, I want to filter it through who? Through Jesus. Because every scripture is ultimately about Jesus. 
That's all. That's what it's it's about. Jesus. It is about pointing us to him, pointing us to Jesus, pointing us to Jesus. Every scripture from Genesis one to Revelations, the very last verse, it is about pointing us to Jesus and Jesus points us to the father. Nobody before Jesus could accurately represent him. Jesus shows up, he represents the father and he gets murdered for it. He, he said, he said in John 15, don't think it's strange if the unbelieving world hates you because they hated me first. Now, wait a minute. He said the unbelieving world. What unbelieving world was he talking about? He was talking about the unbelieving religious world. Why? Because he goes on to say. As it says in their scriptures, they hated me without any cause. He's not talking about that unbelieving world. He's talking about the unbelieving world who are so certain that they know what God is like that they're willing to defend Him by murdering the true God. His whole, his whole ministry was, was a, the persecution was not... Listen guys, He was not being persecuted by the outside world He was being persecuted by the inside religious system that was certain. I would rather just live in this uncertainty and only be certain of one thing. God is good and He looks like Jesus. And let let every, every scripture and every theology, let it be filtered through that belief. That's what I wish I would have originally heard growing up. God is good and He looks like Jesus. God is good and He looks like Jesus. God is good and He looks like Jesus. John 10.10 I and the Father are one. That word one is highest and it means one individual. Do you know what the religious, those that, that gripped onto certainty did when He said that? They picked up a rock and Jesus looks at him and says, for what good work are you about to kill me now? Not because of any work that you've done, but because you being a man make yourself one with God. There is no way that you look like God because God does not look like that. What if he's better than you've ever imagined? What if, what if the father really does look like Jesus? What if he really looks like Jesus? What if everything you ever, from this point forward, everything you ever hear about God gets filtered through God is good and he looks like Jesus? Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. What Jesus is actually saying is, no one's going to get an exact understanding of who He is unless they look through me. I'm the way. I'm the way to see who the Father really is. I'm the truth about who the Father really is. I am the life of who the Father is. No one is going to understand who He is unless they look into me. God is good and He looks like Jesus. No one comes next to the Father except through you and me. To know me is to know my Father. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen Him and experienced Him. And Philip, who's, who's flipping his lid right now because, really, no, there's no way that they look, no, that is not the pictures that we have of God. I've got tons of Scriptures to prove that that is not who He is. Show us the Father! Show us the Father. You've got to realize, Philip is frustrated right now because there is no way that you and him are the same person. And Jesus said, Philip. And Jesus got this smile on his face because he's so excited. Philip, my, my, my buddy and pal, I've been with you all this time and you still don't know who I am? You still don't know who I am? I am? How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen Him. 
Anyone who has looked at me has seen him, Philip. The Father's been with you the whole time because I'm here. Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. This is good stuff. This is good news. God looks like Jesus. He looks like Jesus. Religion has turned Him into some horrible deity that demands payments and this and that. Listen, the wages of sin was death. Adam and Eve's mistake brought a payment, but it wasn't the payment that God demanded. God didn't need payment for sin. Where do we get that from? That wasn't God being angry, saying, all right, who's paying for this? I am so upset right now. Who is going to pay for this? Adam and Eve's mistake brought consequences. Jesus, God, paid for your consequences. God in Christ, reconciling you to Himself. Colossians 1.15, He is the exact living image. He is the essential manifestation of the unseen God. He is the visible representation of the invisible. He is the exact living image. Jesus is the exact living and breathing image of God. He is the essential manifestation of the unseen God. Jesus is, has manifest. You, do you want to know what God is really and truly like? Look to Jesus. Jesus manifested the exact God. The firstborn, the preeminent one, the sovereign and the originator of all creation. Hebrews 1.3 The Son is the perfect copy of God's nature. What kind of nature does God have? Study Jesus. Study Jesus. Almost done. He's the flawless expression of the nature of God. Flawless. Jesus is the flawless expression of the nature of God. Flawless, without any flaw and defect. I don't care who walked before Jesus, and I don't care what they wrote, they were not a flawless expression. Jesus is the flawless expression. Do you realize that the Jews worship Scriptures above God? The tradition of their Scriptures? He's the exact expression of God's true nature. He's His mirror image. The Son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. Bam! That's who God is. God is the Son and the Son is the Father. Do we believe that that they're they're three in one? I mean, it's Trinity, right? Can't really explain Trinity, but you know, it says that they're three in one. Let me ask you this: Can one, if if three are one, is there any way that they can have different natures if they're actually one? Because Jesus said, "I and the Father are one. We're one individual." That's what that word "one" means. I and the Father are one individual. Let me ask you something. Can one individual have three different, two different natures? We call that schizophrenia. Do you agree? So to think that God has a different nature than Jesus is to actually pull them apart and they're not Trinity anymore. Because see, Jesus said, I I can't do anything Unless I see the Father do it. I say what He says, I do what He does. Why? Because they're one. They're one individual. Listen, I'm done. I hope I, hope I left you with, with some, some thoughts this morning. Um, he's, 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 
He's better than we've ever thought. And, and it's about creating this mindset that just makes us want to go after Him because He's always after us. He's a good Father. You were created to be a son and His daughter. That's it. He didn't create you because He needed servants. He, doesn't, he didn't create you because He needed to be worshipped. He, he, has, he has problems if you were created to worship Him. Like that was your ultimate reason. You, you live and move and breathe to worship Him. I mean, he has issues. Would you not agree? If I, I needed a, I have a daughter because I need to be reminded how awesome I am. Right? And I train her up to teach her, your job is to tell me how amazing that I am. And not only to do that, but to do everything I ask of you to do. So I've actually created her to tell me how great I am. And to follow my every beck and call. You guys would call me a monster. But we've somehow convinced ourselves that that's why we're here and what his perception is of us. He looks like Jesus. God is good. And he looks like Jesus. That's the only thing I want to be certain about. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time together, Lord. And I just I thank you for um, just a, a representation of who you truly are through Jesus. Father, that we can we can we can we can look into into the life of Jesus and the desire and the heart that he had. Lord, I, I know there's there's tons of scriptures that that can de- defend any which way we want to go. Father, I can just I can pull scriptures out of everything and just defend anything I want to believe. But what I choose to believe is that you are good and you look just like Jesus because Jesus said that you do. And let everything else be filtered through that one truth. I thank you that the cross was a restoration. The cross was you, Father, giving your life for humanity. You were in Christ, reconciling the word to yourself. Jesus said you, you and him were one individual doing this thing. You didn't turn your back on him. And it gives me hope because if you didn't turn your back on Him, you'll never turn your back on me. You were in Him. You were in Him. You were in Him. You were in Him. You were giving your life for us so that we could see the value of who we are. Oh, we're so valuable to You. Thank You, Father. We are so valuable. We are so valuable. We are so worth. We are worth it. Father, Your, your actions show us that we are worth. We are worth it. And I thank you, Father, that you don't you don't just tolerate us because you look at us and see Jesus. You've always seen beauty. You've always seen it. We haven't seen it. We haven't always seen the beauty. We haven't always seen what you saw. I thank you, Father. We are so much more than what we've been taught. We are so much more and you are so much better than what we've been taught. And I thank you. You're good and you look just like Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this world and showing us what he really looks like. And, and I just I just we, we, we cast our stones down of any idea that, that, that doesn't doesn't line up with that. We just we just drop our stones. And we just say, show us the father. And you say, you're looking at him. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. We're looking at the father when we look at you. Oh, we just thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.